Good afternoon, Canadian Club members and guests. I hope you enjoyed your lunch and are finishing up as we're about to get underway to the discussion portion of our afternoon. Once again, my name is Glenn Parkinson, President-elect of Canadian Club Toronto, and I'm honoured to be your host today. A special welcome to those joining us online for our last event of the season. And we come to you online thanks to the always dependable service of Van Valkenburg Communication and LiveMeeting.ca. Our event today is made possible in part due to the generous sponsorship of PwC and TELUS Health. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks also to our season sponsor, Canadian Bankers Association. Now two final notes. Our club's carbon footprint has been reduced as a result of our partnership with Canada's Forest Trust. So I encourage you to look them up if you get the chance. Uh, Canada's Forest Trust is a great organization and they're helping us reduce our carbon impact. And finally, engaging the next generation of leaders is core to our mandate and our mission here at the Canadian Club. And we're pleased to welcome student guests from Toronto Metropolitan University. So if you could just stand and be recognized. Our student leaders, thank you for joining. Purolator is Canada's iconic shipping brand. With one of the most extensive networks across our country, they deliver parcels and packages to some of the most remote locations using customized shipping and supply chain solutions. What questions do you have for Purolator's president and CEO? Please use the Q&A cards on your tables and provide them to our runners and we'll bring questions up during the discussion. And for those of you online, please hit the question button on the right side of your screen when you want to submit a question. Now, I'd like to welcome to the stage Scott Collinson, partner, National Transportation and Logistics Leader, PwC Canada, to offer a formal introduction to our honored guest today. Oh, thank you, Glenn. Good day and, and welcome, and thank you all for joining us, both present and online. On behalf of PwC Canada, I'd like to say that we're delighted to sponsor this Canadian Club Toronto event and engage in conversations that matter for Canadians. We're particularly excited to be part of this discussion today. PwC shares the values with PureLater that drive both organizations to be trusted brands and deliver sustainable outcomes for our country. Let me start by sharing a, a short story. It was a Saturday before Christmas, the peak, or super peak, as it's been called during COVID. A pure later truck came, up, came into our neighborhood, was tastefully adorned with some holiday decorations and festive music lightly playing. A smiling driver came out of the truck and wished me a happy holiday. I could not help but notice how happy and enthusiastic she was to be doing a job during such a critical time for the business. For me, that is shared values and culture in full display. With John Ferguson's distinguished career in transportation and logistics and his seven years at the helm of Purolator, it is about so much more than results and execution. Those are table stakes for him. It's about leadership and team. I see many of the team here today. They bring it daily for Canadians. It's not a package, it's a promise. That's not just directed to customers. 
It's a promise directed to employees, environment, and community, where Purelater regularly receives accolades too numerous to mention. There's no better example than the Tackle Hunger Program in partnership with the CFL. With John's leadership, Purelater endeavors to skate to where the puck is going to be. I had to say that because it might be the last day of hockey. <laughs> so they skate to where the puck is going to be in order to address challenges and capitalize on emerging opportunities. We're here to talk about some of those things today. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce John Ferguson along with Joseph Lowe. John, welcome to the Canadian Club again. Thank you. These are beautiful, comfy chairs. I'm going to settle in here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. No, it's, 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 it's certainly been a hot minute since we had you last in, in 2019. I think uh, there's been a lot going on kind of in the world and your business as well. And I think the, our members and guests are really looking forward to, to learning a little bit about that. Now, before we start, I think your team has brought a video uh, to share with our audience uh, that may set some of that context for our conversation. We did. Thank you. Ontario becomes the second province to declare a state of emergency. Livelihoods and companies on the line in Canada and around the world. I wanted to be able to come in, keep my kids safe, keep myself safe. The pandemic was time to step up, to safeguard our employees and serve Canadians in a time of need. We saw record shipment volumes and were trusted with critical packages. As demand grew, so did our operations. We created accessible and innovative shipping solutions to meet our customers' evolving needs. Through all of this, we continued to support our communities the way we always have. We pushed towards sustainability With each step, turn and pedal forward, we're building a brighter, more connected future for our people and all Canadians. When I got uh, the first glance of that video just, just earlier this week, I was really struck by some of that imagery, uh, yeah. how stark, I think, I, I think, I think we as, humans, sometimes we have quick memories and we it's put true. aside these things that are maybe a, a little bit less pleasant. So maybe with COVID as the first part of our discussion today, can you set that backdrop? What was, what was, what was the business like? What was it like through your eyes as CEO in that time? Yeah, I know a, a lot of people are sort of tired of talking about COVID, but we wanted to show that just because you, I think you have to reflect and go back and kind of think of where we came from. And there's many layers to COVID when it hit. And I could tell you when it even with all our planning, and we were involved with the global supply chain, and so we knew it was coming in from China, we did planning, but 
we had to be on top of everything on a daily basis, but the, the emotional part of it, as you saw in that video with one of our couriers, the anxiety, the mental health wasn't even really being talked about yet, but the, the adrenaline that I personally felt, for example, it was, a, it was unbelievable for us. We were named as an essential service, and so you know, with that came this huge responsibility that um, you could really feel in our team, and, and you get a little bit of a taste from the video, but it was, it was really quite an incredible time. I know everybody has their story, but for us, it was, it was definitely a chapter in those 60 years that we, uh, we talked about. You know what, picking up on that essential service comment, I, I remember when that happened, um, and it made a big difference, as Scott kind of pointed out in his remarks. Yeah. But then the rubber meets the road when a driver needs to use the restroom and, and can't. So there was so much learning, I imagine, that kind of happened through that. Yeah, the early days of that, we, we recall we couldn't get bathroom access for our couriers. You know, when everybody had shut down, we had problems even getting them for their lunches or having places to go during the day. Um, we had to set up contactless delivery. Our IT team, everybody went digital. I mean, a lot of people in here probably had businesses that did that. But um, very quickly, we had to change, and, and our network was just you know, incredibly impacted. You know, we're a traditional 60-year-old B2B carrier. We've, we've, we're do, we do a lot of retail, and of course, we're riding a bit of that e-commerce wave. When I came in 2019, I thought that was going to be the story. Okay, we're riding an e-commerce wave. We're going to build a big hub. That'll be that. You know, that'll be, you know, I'll come to Canadian Club talk about that. And then we hit rocket ship growth. I mean, it was just unbelievable volume changes. And, you know, running a complex operation, and many of our team are here today, um, you know, we went from changing routes, and you think about across this country, everything from Cape Breton, Newfoundland, all the way over to Vancouver Island. You're going from businesses to suddenly households. And uh, anyways, I can go on and on about the amount of change maybe, in the network. Maybe, maybe to, to contextualize it a little bit for, for those of us that aren't every day in the supply chain, how, how did the complexion of what you delivered change? A, the volumes. And, 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 and yeah. what was being delivered? It, it, well, two things happened that, were, that I'm sure many people in here uh, lived, but we went from city, a lot of urban deliveries, to rural, and all of a sudden, you know, Owen Sound was our biggest terminal growth. Like, we had six couriers in Owen Sound, and suddenly we're overrun with demand because everyone had moved into the country and was buying up everything. And then the other thing that happened is, um, you know, we were watching, and if you love consumer behavior, we're a great company to just watch our network. It's like, why are we having bathing suit runs all of a sudden? Like, what's going on here? But, and then the patio lanterns and the, and the things that, you know, everybody, you know, we were talking about supply chain, and, and, you know, you'd go into a grocery store, and you'd see people that shouldn't know anything about supply chain saying, yeah, the toilet paper's not here because of supply chain issues. And I heard that Asia port and this and that. So it became a very, very front-facing operation. We became you know, integral to really getting through that. And uh, so, yeah. So planning must have been a big part of that. Um, I can, I'm, I'm almost visualizing kind of the war room type setting and, and working with your team to, to plan out what Pure Later would, yeah. would be like in that kind of environment. But can you take us through that? Because I can't imagine you were able to plan for some of these things that none of us saw. Yeah, the leader of that band is actually sitting in the back, Ricardo Costa, who brought back a big fancy Gartner framework for us to use. And um, we did plan, and I remember thinking, we had 30% 30, 30 scenarios, 30% labor, okay, isn't gonna show up, absenteeism, 30% volume, like, 
I don't know how we missed it, but nobody saw that we were going to get overrun with volume. And, and so we, for all the planning we did, it was more about crisis and contingency and downward things. And, and so the other key to it was, in my view, in those early days was, like anything in life and business, is you had to be very quick with decisions, and every day was a hit. So if you missed the one day of your plan, it would completely screw you up, and it was just too much change happening. So it was almost planning for the daily increments. You must have learned a lot during this time. We used to use that term silver linings a lot, I remember, but every day was uh, a lot to learn. But you know, we were always a people-driven culture, but we, was, you know, we really went um, to complete um, concern for our people. In fact, we have Cleveland Clinic here and our, our doctor, our chief medical director, Dr. Sean Chug here. So this is something that I think is quite unique. You know, we, we got into this program to bring in you know, a, a doctor, a medical practitioner in that program before COVID, if you can imagine being that lucky. We said, you know, we're a progressive culture. We should, you know, we, we need to deal with mental health. It's going to be a, an issue going forward. So anyways, I think Sean, Dr. Sean was on for a couple of weeks and then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, our place was petrified. You know, can you catch COVID off a box from China? Because we do a lot of inbound Asia freight, of course. So we had to bring in, and we were fortunate enough to bring in actual medical advice to our team. And uh, that was critical. And partnering with public health, you know, I'm kind of going down a tangent here after your, your initial question, but uh, about learning, learning, we, we became health experts very quickly. I mean, we're transportation logistics people, and I knew no, more about the, the makeup of the vaccines and, you know, and, and epidemiology and everything else, terms I, I wouldn't have known. So um, that was a major, a major part of what we, we had to get to know public health. It was, you know, quite something to keep uh, everything going. Well, it was such an integral, the company was such an integral part to keeping our healthcare system going. And I'm, I'm thinking PPE, yeah. I'm thinking getting vaccine to where it needed to be eventually when there was vaccine. So I, I imagine um, certainly things you hadn't anticipated when you signed on as, as CEO. Maybe as we, maybe last question kind of on the COVID topic, John. Um, Pure Later is an iconic Canadian brand. And we live in a bit of a different environment in a different economy now than then in 2019. So from your perspective, what does it mean for PureLater to be Canadian in, in our day and age now? Yeah, when, you know, when COVID hit too, the other thing, that it's important to talk about this, I think, because of what we are now becoming and what we we're always were. But there was a real sense of nationalistic. I mean, we all got together. We were working with the governments across Canada, federal, provincial, municipal. Um, we were the ones that when the 3M masks were short, we were bringing them up from the US. Don't forget the borders were closed. And so you couldn't get anything in without us and, and others. Uh, you couldn't get anything you know, internationally and, and coast to coast when everybody was shut down. You literally you know, depended on Purolator. And so we realized how important we are to the, not only the Canadian economy, but in, a, in an act of a crisis. Without Purolator, you would not have the economy going. You would not have had long-term care and hospitals going because you couldn't just drive over to Buffalo and get stuff. In. I mean, everything was quite set up so that our infrastructure could run like a machine to get this done. We talked a lot in our company about pride and purpose and the amount of the galvanization, if that's a word, of our culture was, um, was unbelievable, how everybody stepped up 
you know, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, at Trillium, you know, which I'm involved with, the, the nurses and everything, they, they felt that in a, in a critical way. But we did as well. And our people felt, I almost looked like in it to almost at war, like a military, and they were very, very in, beyond engaged. It was literally a responsibility to solve this problem. And we were being asked by governments to do, we were doing vaccine clinics, we were moving all the critical product. And, and we were partnering a lot more too, and that's something I hope we don't lose. We, were, we talked to the government almost every day, uh, and now we've kind of gone back to our respective thing, you know, traditional ways. But the amount of cooperation to solve that problem was unbelievable, and I really hope that we could figure out how to maintain. That's one of the things I hope we maintain. Absolutely. Um, members and guests, I will invite you to, uh, as we talked about before, get your questions to the front as well. We're happy to field some of those. So you'll find the, the, the cards on your tables and, and online as well. Um, maybe, John, turning our attention to the present day and, and, and the economy, um, one, of the, one of the favorite subjects of the Canadian Club is to prognosticate on where is the economy headed and, and, and where are we going uh, as a country. You have a very unique perspective and your fingers on the real economy, the flow of goods through the country. Um, what are your perspectives on this inflationary environment and the, and the rising interest rate? We just had an interest rate hike just the other day, as you know. Yeah. Um, well, we are a, really a true bellwether in Canada. We do see just about everything in our network. We can, and the biggest factor, and you can imagine, I mean, we rode a COVID wave, like, unbelievably. We hired 3,500 people. We're a business of about 14,000 employees, and it, it ebbs and flows. Um, but we were riding this unbelievable wave. Everything was up, everything, and inflation was hitting. And don't forget, there's a lot of driver shortages. We call it our middle mile carriers, which is the, the network of air and ground that runs to get everything in the long length of hauls to, to the terminals and to the regions. And that's been really a problem um, because drivers and, and labor in general hasn't all come back. And it, certainly in COVID, it was a huge challenge. So we do find that you know, we came off an unbelievable and, and then 22 kind of winter peak was slower than anticipated, certainly slower than COVID. And then we actually dipped into what I would call a freight recession, along with the recession, along with hyperinflation. And it was, for us, in our case, if you look at all the sectors of, you know, if you look at um, our, our complete supply chain industry, there's rail, truck, LTL, supply chain software, customs brokers, freight forwarders, air, ocean, there's all these modes. And the one that went up the greatest was the last mile couriers. And we, we actually do freight, we do everything cross border, we have a big US company. But the actual last mile part of our business had the biggest lift of all the segments and the biggest decline into the new year. Mostly because e-commerce just went and complete, you know, as, as we opened up, that completely dried up and it moved. And fortunately, we have a big, strong B2B and we do have a good presence in retail and we do a, a lot of uh, the market share here. But it was a big, big change. And so that kind of really supports this idea that is there a recession or not? And I would say in our first quarter, we were bouncing around a bottom. Same when the US, the people I talk to in the US that are running businesses like this, bouncing around kind of the low point. And then in April, we did see a bit of a turn up and continuing in May. 
So if that's reflective of, and that's across multiple sectors, in our verticals we have healthcare, industrial, retail, e-commerce, we pretty much play in everything. And the one that's the growth, the highest growth for us is the industrial segment, so construction, uh, mining, things like that, is still actually growing strong, but it's still mostly in that e-commerce space and retail in general that is you know, suffering a little bit. And that trend is similarly there in the US as well. So my personal belief, that's a long story to get to, I don't really believe, I think we're gonna be more resilient. I think 23 we're calling a reset year, mostly around resetting in volumes, not necessarily pricing or fuel or anything like that. But um, 24 coming right back out, back into a good normal growth range. That, so I'm a bit more optimistic. Maybe I'll follow on with, with an audience question that we just got. Um, it does seem like the environment is in flux because you just spoke to us about the, the, the change in e-commerce, yet we see Nordstrom retreating from Canada. So, so maybe the, the, the mall traffic is, is different as well. Um, do you have a view on that? Is it, or is it still playing out? Um, there, no, this I'm not necessarily a retail expert, but I guess I am by way of supply chain because I've dealt with it for years. I've dealt with Walmart for many years, um, all the big players, and <clears throat> there's still a, there's still winners and losers in retail, and and we we're we're playing with you know a lot of the winners. I don't want to name the names, and some are here even today, but. Um, there's some great strong retail winners in this, in this market still, but there's really a, I think this growing brand direct to consumer going on. And so yes, there, there's a disruption of traditional, you know, malls and things like that are pretty obvious what's happening. And there's a heck of a lot more happening from direct Asia now. Um, like think of an Amazon and you guys probably know the names, but. Um, we're seeing a lot more uptick in what we call rest of world into Canada. And that would, to me, s signal that there's consumers have gotten used to going right to a brand overseas or even uh, a platform. So I do think that retail in general is going to be disrupted pretty strong. So on the, it makes me think of this, John, like on, the, on your comment around uh, the, the, the nationalism that we saw kind of rise yeah. up during COVID. And the, geopolit the geopolitical landscape as we see today, especially with um, Russia as less of a trading partner, but with China, certainly. Um, do you see consumer sentiment breaking through that and, and still bucking that trend? Or, or is that also another uncertainty or headwind? Um, well, I think when you talk about nationalistic, it's probably another point that's even bigger than that, and that's the decoupling of China. Hmm. Uh, what we call in our business the trade lane. So the trade flows of goods, North America, Mexico, Canada, US has a big strong trade lane with a trade agreement, particularly Southeast Asia, China inbound. There's trade flows all over the world, intra-Asia. And those trade lanes have really been hit quite strongly. I mean, you know, not to get too political, but it, it did start with Trump. Uh, and, and it moved into a protectionist type of climate, and then there's tariffs and things that were created, semiconductor issues, and it has led to more of a regionalization, a, a domestic shift of manufacturing distri distribution. In fact, um, I don't know if you're going with this question, but I think this is important for everybody to know. Laredo and the Mexico cross-border trade is up 20% already. That's, like, so everybody's talked about nearshoring for a long time. There's clear evidence that it's happening. So to me, 
I mean, we're mostly a North American company. We're, we're doing a lot of cross-border work. And I think, in our case at Purolator, between domestic and North America, we're actually sitting quite well. It's not like the Asia inbound's not gonna continue on, but there's so much, there was so much risk that was brought in and through the pandemic that, it, that I think governments even realized, we better have some local manufacturing, we better have some local supply, we better have all this figured out and have the supply chain. Don't forget the container rates, talk about inflation, the container rates for say Shanghai into Vancouver or Long Beach, they used to be two or 3,000 US for an inbound 40 foot container. They went up to 25 to $30,000. And they dropped back down in about two months, which is unbelievable to think how quickly that could happen in this industry. So the steamship, the, the ocean carriers were, um, were bathing in profit and then how quickly it stopped for them. So yeah, it's, there's a lot going on in this question of geopolitical. You know, the biggest input we have is fuel. Um, and of course, the Ukraine-Russia Russia, uh, war created a big fuel problem, a big, a big inflationary item. But this, uh, this idea of having more North American trade, I think, is a major trend to follow. And, and if you are experiencing, you will. So maybe let's stick closer to home for a moment then. Um, Pure Leader is a, very much a people-driven business. The video certainly highlights how important um, people strategy and culture is uh, in your management style and how you guys operate. Um, are you still seeing driver shortages? What does the people picture look like for the 14,000 uh, pure litter employees out there? For us, it's settled down. Um, it's never really been that big of a problem on the courier end. It's the truck driving piece, if you will, that's the long haul, the, the what we call our middle mile um, or even some of the LTL or the um, larger trucks that we have in our fleet that require more licensing and things like that. That shortage is here. It always was here. That's all we used to, that's, we talked about it for years, but it's even more pronounced now. Part of it's the age demographic. Part of it was the pandemic. Um, you know, one answer to that that's been put out there is autonomous vehicles is, you know, gonna come in at about the right time, but, um, but it is certainly an issue, and that's why inflation-wise, that's one area that has still not come off its pricing at all, is that it's the, the, uh, the full truckload carriers. So I was thinking that, like you mentioned autonomous vehicles. What about the gig economy that's taken other industries by storm, food, food delivery, obviously taxis, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, we've had uh, elements of that in our network, but... Um, you know, Purolator differentiates itself on our long-term, uniform, professional. So it's probably an area that we are a little less um, interested in because you know we're going into hospitals and. Um, this is the high-tech way of delivering messages. Sometimes old school is best. Um, yeah. So to me, um, you know, that's not an area that. You know, we're actually going more the other way with uh, our brand new. When I was here last time, we announced our brand new sort automation facilities. It's the best robotics and automation in the in the world. Actually, we went out to find work with Siemens Logistics, and um, I was here actually talking about a billion dollar investment the last time. That was the cornerstone. It's up near Humber College. Happy to give everybody anybody here tours. Many have been there, um, but that um, you know really represented our you know, desire really to have a great place for our people to work 
and particularly around safety. And you know, you got a me mechanization all over the place. You want it to be safe, and we jumped generations with that. So, so you recently had another billion dollar investment announcement in in the marketplace. Um, Lloyd's getting nervous. He's hearing two billion announcements. <laughs> Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe I'm onto the third billion now. Bi uh, just kidding, Lloyd. PwC is uh, a great partner to us. They're up to the third billion. This is great. Um, so we're talking about decarbonization. Yeah, no. So yeah. we did announce a big investment over seven years for our the electrification of our fleet, um, and it's something like 60 to 65 percent of our entire fleet will be electric by 2030. That's a science-based targets we've set out with net zero by 2050. Um, but you know we've got to actually hit every year. And so we've ordered, I think, 100 trucks. Actually, all the people that do this are here today, which is great. So they're going to, they'll know the exact. But And then another 120 next year. So we've got 12 e-bikes. We've got all kinds of, what I would say, proof that we're serious to do this. And um, it's a challenge, though, because we have, our goal is to be the greenest courier in Canada. Um, and to do that, you know, we have to be quite early with things. And we were early in 2005, if you can imagine, with hybrid electric vehicles, which we still have in our network. Many that are here today that are with us that have been there that many years, and, and ironically, or maybe unfortunately a better word, that company didn't survive. And so we were stuck with all the IP and all the technology, and we still maintain them to this day. So it is, I think this is definitely, though, way more advanced than it's happening. But um, you know, there's challenges even, I was just even talking to a partner that's here, the CEO last night, about helping because getting power panels and, and transformers, things that, you know, again, I wouldn't have traditionally been involved with. But to get these for manufacturing, this, there's pinch points all over getting the product, getting the getting the trucks, um, but we intend to, by the end of this year, if all goes well, we'll have something like 60% of our lower mainland BC fleet electric. So anybody I meet from Vancouver, I say, you're going to breathe clean air thanks to us, because that's a huge fleet out in the lower mainland. I, I wonder if, um, I'm going to build off of an audience question and maybe tie it back to um, decarbonization or other parts of the operation as well. Uh, what's the role of other technologies such as AI, automation, machine learning in shaping the future of last mile delivery? It does play a big role, um, and we are using it in many applications today. Um, and there's you know, quite a bit of, it's, it's really visibility of a package has kind of like been the holy grail. And there's a lot more happening in healthcare with sensors and RFID now where it costs money, unfortunately, so it's got to be a premium shipment. But um, there's many things. Like the two, we have major pilots going on right now. The two things in our com company and our operations are sort and last mile delivery. And when you deliver to the wrong address, it's a big problem. So um, we're triangulating, not to get too technical, because um, the technical person's actually back there laughing at me right now, <laughs> trying to explain this. But um, we're triangulating three sources of data and one of them happens to be understanding the neighbor to the home that you're delivering to, for example, or the neighbor to a business. And that's coming in in terms of imagery and it's saying, am I right or wrong on a delivery? So there's a lot happening um, 
on both of those levels. There's a number of things that are happening. We even have this thing called an exoskeleton. I think I'm saying that right. Which is, it reminds like me of- an Iron Man suit? Yeah, it's like an Iron Man suit for, for lifting uh, heavy objects in it. And it has, it's been designed for, for making you basically stronger. Um, and, and it has sensors in it too that determine how your, your movements and your biomechanicals goes and so on. So again, these are things that we didn't think we'd get, I didn't think we'd be involved in transportation, but so, but you know, we've got a lot of, we even use natural language processing to look at potential, will a safety incident happen? Um, the early detection, and so it's not just in terms of performance, it's, it's actually a lot of wellness and health and safety that's it's being used for. So wellness and health and safety has a, played a big part in the video. Um, yeah, it's huge for us. You learned a lot through COVID as well and the needs of, 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 of your people. You spent a lot of time in this area with Pure Leader Health, um, uh, as well as with your community at large with, uh, uh, with the Tackle Hunger Program. Do you yeah. want to talk a couple minutes about those initiatives? Well, Tackle Hunger um, is an unbelievable grassroots program that started 20 years ago. And so this, over the 20 years, we've done over 20 million pounds of food donated to food banks coast to coast in Canada. And we partner with the CFL, and we think it's probably the most unique sports marketing partnership that I've ever heard or seen of, um, because it's such a great alignment with the CFL, very humble Canadian community, the players. I mean, I, you go and see these big football players, and they have tears in their eyes every year at the Grey Cup talking about the need and how much they feel a part of it. So it's 20-year anniversary. We've got a big goal this year to raise even more. Um, we have great partners even here today, I know, that have helped us as customers. And what it does is it, um, it really engages our frontline, our couriers, and I, you can go to a, an activation, a game day activation, any city across Canada. You'll find our couriers there, but they have the whole families. Can you imagine they give up their weekends? Even when we were running hard, they'd give up their weekends to go and volunteer with the CFL, so um, amazing stuff. And then what was the second part there? Um, Pure Leader Health. Yeah, Pure Leader Health. So again, I'll reference this, the, the Cleveland Clinic partnership and, and Dr. Sean here, Dr. Sean Chug. <clears throat> the Pure Leader Health was really our way of um, taking wellness to the next level. And there's a large part of this that has been mental health focused, but it's also physical health and even social. Um, and we think that by us playing a role, and I think this really came of age because A, we invested in it, but B, there was such a need through COVID and so many people couldn't even get to family doctors, right? Public health was struggling. And I know for a fact that we've actually saved lives of people at Purelator, like people that got caught in the nets of all these screenings that we were doing, that we ended up helping because we had the resources to do it. Like, that, that's unbelievable. So it's. Uh, you know, you talk about doing things to make the world a better place, but this, you know, to actually do that, to be able to affect health. And so, yeah, we're very committed to it, and we think we are making, uh, you know, I, I, there's no transportation companies, I guarantee, that are doing this, and may, maybe not even many companies in Canada that have taken on a commitment like this to actually say that by, by looking after your people's health, they will be better off, obviously, which is the good thing, but as a business, we'll be better off as well. And there's nothing worse than going through something like that. So, uh, John, I think you've painted a really nice picture of how um, Pure Leader is a great place to work. And I think maybe this is where this TMU question 
came from. Um, what advice do you have for retail grads or, or those about to graduate looking to start a career in supply chain? They, 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 gave, they, they guaranteed that question earlier in the, in the room, so thanks for that. Say it again. Yeah. <laughs> I was, they would like a job at Pure Leader. How do they go about? Just call me. <laughs> LinkedIn. No, go ahead. Ask the question. Fantastic. Um, supply chain, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty specialized industry. It is. How does one think about getting into that as a new business graduate or an engineering graduate? Well, engineering is a perfect background for supply chain. Um, and, uh, you know, we are always interested. We have a very, I mean, the team here today that manages talent is here. Um, so see them. They would be perfect for you. But we... Uh, you know, one, we are a great environment for young people to come, talented people. Our industry is really looking for more younger talent, particularly with those backgrounds. Um, it is hard in Canada, I have to say. I, I moved around a lot. I worked in the U.S. Um, so, uh, you know, supply chain, there, are, there, are, there is education around it, but, you know, just getting into a company and learning it is a great opportunity, though. It is an area that has become so important to businesses and you know, in my earlier years, it was hardly talked about. It was a really behind the scenes. Now it's front and center, and e-commerce really brought it out too. So, um, but it's a it's a it's a great opportunity for a career if you're interested. Maybe I'll, I'll build on it, and I think we've got time for this this one final question. Um, and it is kind of the same question in a way, but but made a little bit more personal. So I thought it'd be nice to end on this note. Um, John, what brought you to Pure Later, um, and and what gets you up out of bed every morning? Well, um, if you, well, I was brought on. I was talked to about Pure Later. If you can believe it, it was considered a, and it needed a turnaround seven years ago when I came in, and I, we obviously did that. So, and then some. So it was. For me, I love to come into a platform like this. I was talking to was it you, Mike. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier about this that I, I wish I was actually shocked or pleasantly surprised how much there was at Purolator that was amazing to to take and grow from. And it has not. It's been even better, and and we've really really moved the the business along in so many ways besides even financial performance. Um. I really love the people side of the business, whether it's customers or you know, our people. I, that's why I don't, I, I'm a big get back to the office person because I love being with people. So what gets me up, if I have to get up in the morning, if Sue Lynn's here, I don't know, and somebody says, read a hundred page like legal documents, sorry Susan, that's one I don't want to get up for. So I know the ones I don't, but if there's a people oriented, you know, uh, getting together with you guys here or whatever, that, that's what I like. Fantastic. Thank you, John. On that note, thank you so much, John Ferguson, for joining us here at the Canadian Club. And I'll turn it back over to Glenn. Thank you. Thank you, John. On, on behalf of Canadian Club members and guests, I want to thank you for just a delightful and, and fascinating, wide-ranging discussion. Um, I was particularly taken by your recollection of COVID and, and that very difficult period. And I, I think I speak on behalf of the room when I thank you and your team for your service during that difficult time. 
Also, to, maybe to bring back something you mentioned at the beginning, I personally love consumer behavior, so if you're offering a session, Consumer Insights, brought to you by Purelater, I think we'd have <laughs> some takers. I think we'd have some takers. Um, Joe, thanks for moderating uh, excellently, as you always do, in such an effective way, and also for your tremendous contribution to this club through the entire season. You'll be a hard act to follow. <laughs> And that brings our final event of the season to a close. I would like to thank our terrific staff, Colleen Kennedy, Kathleen Bishop, and Caitlin Hughes for their hard work and superb execution across 38 events this season. So please, some applause to them. And our club continues to thrive thanks to members and guests like you, so we appreciate your loyalty, and to the generous sponsorship that we received and today from PwC and TELUS Health. We couldn't do it without you, so thank you very much. And I look forward to joining you next season as club president for 2023-2024. Thank you again to Joe Lowe for your leadership this year. And we wish you all a very safe and happy summer. And we'll see you again in the fall. Thank you very much.